0: Welcome you to Bible class this morning and to our listening audience on KFUO as we continue our study in Romans. Today, we're going to start into Romans chapter 9, and I want to make a few comments because chapters 9 through 11 are considered a unit, okay? So what is this unit about? Well, this unit is not about election and predestination, and we're going to see that. This section is about how God's Word works, and how God's Word works to bring about His purpose, which is salvation, to save us. So as we go through this, uh, we'll highlight that when when this is being emphasized. Okay, so we'll start in chapter 9, and the first five verses are very interesting. Um, Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. Okay, so that's he himself speaking. But my conscience bears me witness. The actual word is bears witness with me in the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is uh, guiding his conscience. Okay? Guiding his conscience. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. In other words, he is greatly grieved. The adjectives, great sorrow and unseeking anguish, emphasize that. Now, what is he anguishing about? Verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh he is actually offering to be cut off from Christ if God will save the rest of his people, the Jews. That's actually what he's offering here. He's offering to be accursed And we get that out of uh, Galatians says, Paul says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's from the Old Testament. Cursed was Christ when he hung on the tree of the cross because he was under the curse of the law. That says that there is punishment and damnation for those who sin and do not keep the law. Paul is now saying, I'll take that curse for the rest of the Jews. In other words, he's offering to be the Savior. He's offering to be the Savior if God will spare the rest of the Jews. God can send him to hell if God will spare the rest of the Jews. Now, this is not the first person in the Bible that did this. The other one was Moses. And uh, I'll read you that section uh, from the book of Exodus. You will remember the story that Moses was up on top of the mountain, and they built a golden calf. And he came down, and uh, so here's, here's the account. It says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin." So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. So Moses tried to do the same thing to spare the people after the golden calf. He said, blot me out of the book, but not them. Paul says, blot me out of the book, make me cursed, but not them. These two are seeking to be a savior for the people. And they cannot be. They cannot be because they're not sinless. They can't make a sacrifice for sin. They can't atone for sin. But that's how strongly Moses felt about the people. And that's how strongly Paul felt about his fellow Jews. That they were willing to give up their place in heaven for the others. And that's pretty striking. Okay? That's pretty striking. And I'm sure people have uh, felt that way. Um, when I was the pastor of all of you, there were days I would have done that, and days I wouldn't have. Some days I thought you deserved it, man. Let them have it. But the fact is, that's what these two are saying. And it's pretty profound. Only Christ, then, as the perfect Savior sent from God, he was cursed by God uh, on that cross to make atonement for our sin. Now, why does he feel, why does Paul feel this way? And that's what's in verse 4. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption. That means they are the adopted children of God. He chose them the glory. He showed them his glory in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and his presence over the Ark of the Covenant. The covenants probably refers to the covenants made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The giving of the law, which is probably a broader term, as we've discussed, than just the rules and regulations, but also the promises, the gospel, the worship. Actually, that is the service. That's what it says. The service, and uh, you know, we we now whenever we think about service, we attend the worship service. Well, we we think the first thing that comes to our mind is we're going there to thank and praise God. And that is true, but that is not the service. The service, what do we call it? The divine service. Because there God serves us. First and foremost, God serves us by bringing us His Word and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. When we come to church, we are served. We give thanks and praise to God only because He's serving us. If we begin to look at the worship service, as focused around us, then we got a real problem. Okay? Then it's what makes me feel good. The divine service is God coming through word and sacrament to serve us. It is His service, not ours. So... That's what's being referred to here. Uh, uh, the service—it says the worship—but it's better translated the service. In fact, it's better translated the temple service. Okay, so the temple served them, not they are serving God. And then the promises. Now, to them belong the patriarchs. Okay, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. In other words, he's going to come out of the Jewish line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now, so he's grieving over his people, and the grief is because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe the Word of God that has confronted them, that has invited them to believe, called them to believe. They have not believed. Even though they have all these blessings the covenant, the adoption, the glory even though they have all these things, they don't believe. They don't believe. And that's why Paul is grieving. And that is why the next verse is so important, verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. That's the emphasis of these three chapters. Just because all these Jews... All these Jews have rejected, will not believe, does not mean the Word of God has failed. His purpose and his plan is still being carried out. And then he begins to make some very important statements. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Okay. He is contrasting the fact that that everybody born into the nation of Israel through Abraham is not of Israel. And everybody who is born an offspring of Abraham is not of Abraham. And this is the distinction that we're going to carry through all the way to chapter 11, all the way. In other words, what it's saying is just because you were born into the nation of Israel, and just because you are Abraham's offspring, does not meet. You believe in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is now saying is that the true Israel is not the nation of Israel. The true Israel are all those that believe in Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile. He's saying, you are a child of Abraham, not because you were born and it's in your blood, but because you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, this gets tricky because Paul's going to refer to Israel a lot. And you have to see, what is he saying? Is he saying the nation Israel Or is he saying all believers in Christ? That distinction has to be maintained. So, he goes on. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And now all these are quotes from the Old Testament. So... Here's the first thing that that people get hung up on. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. All right. First of all, It says, through Isaac shall the children be named. And where people get hung up is they say, oh, oh, then Ishmael's out. Ishmael's out. And the first mistake in interpreting this is to say, God is saying, Isaac is the line, Ishmael's out. All of Isaac's descendants, by the promise, go to heaven, and all Ishmael's go to hell. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong. If Ishmael's descendants believe in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. This is not God's saying... That some, he's chosen some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. It's not saying that at all. What it's saying is his word is what matters. Because his word is the promise. Why was Isaac chosen by God? By grace. But Isaac was the child of promise because Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. And it was by faith that they had a child. Ishmael was born by works. Okay. God had to preserve, if his purpose is to save then God has to preserve the line that's going to be the line of Jesus Christ. So he chose Abraham, and then he chose Isaac. That's not saying Ishmael's out, just saying the line has to continue, and he chose Isaac, the child of promise. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are children of Abraham and Isaac. Whether they're of the line of Ishmael or Isaac. It is not God arbitrarily saying everybody that's of Isaac is going to heaven and everybody that's of Ishmael is going to hell. Not saying that. And yet, some people, like John Calvin, interpret it that way. And when you interpret it that way, you come up with double predestination. And double predestination says that before the foundation of the world, God chose this one to be saved and this one to be damned, and it had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And it's simply not in there, especially when we read, and God would have all to believe and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's what his purpose is. So what he's showing us here is, even though there are many people that have rejected Jesus Christ and do not believe the line of Christ is going to continue through Isaac, And through those who believe, children of the promise, my word does work, is what he's saying. Paul is saying the word of God works. Okay? The word of God works. Now, verse 9. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Okay. That was the promise. And Sarah laughed. And so God named her son Isaac, which means he laughs. God's got a great sense of humor. You just got to look for it. All right, so God is saying, my, uh, Paul is saying the word of God is working because through Abraham and through Isaac, people believe in Jesus Christ. People believe in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. All right, let me pause there and see if there are any questions. Yeah, you can ask questions this week. But if they're stupid, I'm going to tell you. All right. Who's got a question? Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Nobody's lost. Okay. He who hesitates is lost. Okay. All right. Yeah. There is none. There can never be comfort under double predestination because you don't know where you stand. Even it is possible under double predestination that you believe in Jesus Christ and you go to hell. Because you were picked. How would you as a pastor? Uh, I hope you go. I hope you make it. Now, they'd argue with that. They'd say, well, if if they're not one of the saved, they're not going to believe in Jesus Christ. But the, the problem is, you can argue, and there'll always be a doubt in the back of your mind. There'll always be a doubt. So there is not firm, real comfort as we have and we can have. I don't have to go in when I'm ministering to a person in the hospital, and before I enter, try to guess on which side they are. It's impossible. Yes. That is correct. Uh, the comment is, the, the, the problem is complacency. If you are convinced you're saved then you figure you can do whatever you want, okay? It's, it's very dangerous, okay? Very dangerous. And there is no comfort this side of heaven. All right. Now, we're to uh, 10, And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. That's being emphasized because Isaac and Ishmael were by two different mothers. Jacob and Esau were by one father. And and this verse... um, you know, had conceived children by one man. Basically, it says, and not only so, but also when Rebecca, with one bed, had sexual intercourse with one man, our father Isaac. That's really the way they've cleaned it up here in the English. Okay. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Okay. So Isaac and Jacob, I mean, Jacob and Esau were born of Isaac and Rebekah. Before they had done anything in this world, God chose Jacob. Why? Don't ask. Can't be answered. You see, Esau and Jacob both were sinful human beings. Esau never pleased his, his, uh, his parents in his, his choice for wives. He married Canaanite women. Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was no prize, neither was Jacob. Jacob was a liar and a cheat. He lied and cheated all through his life. Later in life, God got him back because others lied and cheated him. But that's what the last chapters of Genesis are all about. Neither one of them deserved to be chosen. Why did God choose Jacob? Well, we know it's by grace because neither one of them deserved it. Neither one of them deserved it. But as I said, it says there... God's purpose of election had to move forward. And election is that he's going to save us. So it couldn't be, it was just like Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. For the line to continue, God chose Jacob. Why? It was by grace, not by works, but God chose, okay, for the purpose of salvation. Does that mean Esau and all his descendants were out? No, it does not, just like it didn't mean that with Ishmael. But the line of Christ was going to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and that's clear. Okay. Notice how it says not because of works, but because of him who calls. That's God. That's God. We don't. There's nothing in the Bible that says Esau didn't believe in the God of Jacob. Uh, God of Isaac. Not in there. But God chose Jacob. And we can't. Uh, But it's up to him who calls. And, And the comforting thing about that is... He's called you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Otherwise, you wouldn't believe in Jesus Christ. So what does salvation depend on? Jesus Christ... And on him who calls, he's called you. He's seen that you're called by the gospel, enlightened by his gifts, sanctified and kept in the one true faith. Okay? She was told, verse 12, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Okay, now, Esau was born first, but Esau would serve Jacob. Jacob would be the actual firstborn blessing. It's out of the ordinary, but it's God's plan. Why did God do it this way? Don't ask. Okay? We can't answer that. But it says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Don't think that. uh, The word hate here is used in the sense that he actually hated. In the New Testament, it says... uh, That hate father and mother, I'm first. Jesus says, I'm first. He who hates his father and mother, okay, follow me. That's not saying you hate your father and mother, it means you put your life in priority. Jesus is first, then father and mother. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so what we have here is him saying the best way to say it is, Jacob, I chose Esau, I didn't. Or Jacob, I loved Esau, I spurned. Uh, But don't think of it as actual God hates him. Uh, If God hates you, you're done. You die. (laughs) That's it. But what's being said is, he chose Jacob, he did not choose Esau. But again, that does not mean Esau and all his descendants are damned. But there are those that read it that way. But we do not. Now, because the context says no... All right, everybody still with me? Questions now? Yes, sir. One of the family, that's correct. But then God throws us a curve. God's always throwing us a curve. Just when we think we got this figured out, Jacob has 12 sons. The first three really mess things up. Reuben was the firstborn. He was the line of, uh, should be the line of Christ. He blew it. Slept with his father's wife. He's out. Simeon and Levi, well, they're, uh, they, they killed a whole town of people. And I'm not going to go into the details there. But they're out. Then comes Judah. Judah is now the, um, the line of Christ. The blessings in Genesis 50 make Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But then what does Judah do? Judah liked prostitutes. So Judah has relations with a woman that he thinks is a prostitute and it's his daughter in law and has twins, Perez and uh, uh, Zara. Perez is the line of Christ, born of a prostitute. So you say, oh, Abraham did his thing and Isaac did it right and he sent Isaac back and Jacob, he sent him back and then here comes a prostitute. So um, it's not perfect and God God used everything in his plan back to all things work together for good to them that love God. And for his plan of God, you bet, he makes it work. Even when our sin gets in the way. Even when our sin gets in the way. Okay. Now, 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, okay? Is God being unjust by choosing Isaac and Jacob? For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, this is a critical verse, folks. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. No human will or exertion. No amount of works. No matter how you exert yourself, no amount of works and no decision. You don't make a decision for Jesus Christ. You don't do it. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on God who has mercy. And he's the one that calls us to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. He calls us. It depends on him. Um, One of the great phrases of modern Christianity was not written by a Lutheran. (laughs) Fancy that. Uh, it was written by a man named Rick Warren. you've ever heard of Rick Warren, he's the pastor at Saddleback, big, huge church in Southern California. And he wrote a book called A Purpose-Driven Life. And that book is not a perfect book, but he makes a statement in there that is so Lutheran and so good. He simply says, it's never about you, it's about God. It's never about you, it's about God. That's what this verse is saying. It's not your exertion, it's not your will, it's God who has mercy. It's about God. If we didn't have a God who loved us and cared for us, and offered us His own Son as a Savior, we'd be lost. If we didn't have a God who actually called us and worked the faith in us, we'd be lost. God does it all. It's not about you. It's about God. Okay. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. All right. God shares His will here. He raised up Pharaoh and made him who he was. It's that way with all people. No matter how big and powerful they are, if God didn't want them there, they wouldn't be there. God raised up Pharaoh so that for the very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He wanted Pharaoh where he was, but Pharaoh was confronted with the same things that any other person is. On the one hand, the Word of God... And the other hand, what he wanted. Now, if Moses and Aaron had come to Pharaoh and changed the Nile River into blood, and Pharaoh would have said, that's good, I like that, I believe in this God... I believe in this God. Well, he'd have been blessed. He'd have proclaimed the power of God and the name of God. But he hardened his heart. Now, he's the villain, but he still proclaims the power of God and the name of God, even though he blew it. Now, I want to read this next verse. And then I'll, I'll talk about it. So then, he has a mercy on whoever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And, and, and we say, uh-oh, oh. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He made him do this. Now, let me challenge you to go back to Exodus and to begin reading at chapter 7, because that's where the plagues begin. And what we see is that the plagues happen uh, one after another. So Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, and the first time it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen. Not God hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. It says that after the second plague and the third plague and the fourth plague and the fifth plague. What is God trying to do to get this dummy to come around? He gave him all these chances. He showed him all these miracles. He showed him That his word was true. That whatever Moses and Aaron told him from the Lord would happen. Five times. Only after he's rejected it five times does it then say, The Lord hardened his heart. You see, the Lord is very patient. but his patience runs out. At some point, his patience runs out. So what we see in Pharaoh is not that God hardened his heart from the beginning. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. When it means the Lord hardened his heart, all he's saying is, He let Pharaoh be what Pharaoh wanted to be. He let him be what he wanted to be. He left him to his own devices. And that was to reject the word of God and the God of Israel. It doesn't mean that God made him do it. Because before time began, he was damned. He gave him chance after chance, showed him miracle after miracle, and he wouldn't believe. So, he gave him over to his own hardness of heart. But, that's not a sign that God predestined him to go to hell. He had his chances just like Many, many people do. Many, many people do. So it's a process with Pharaoh. God's trying to get through to this guy. But he won't he won't give in. He won't give in. Okay, we got a few minutes for questions. We're gonna stop here in the text and see if you've got more questions. Uh, yes. Yes, uh, Steve says the process continues, and it does. Uh, it was a very important point that uh, uh, Pastor Steve King made in the sermon this morning. Don't uh, be quick to label other people dead wood, because God is still working in their life. You need to encourage them and support them and witness to them, because everybody is different. Uh, it, It may take 20 years of work for God to bring another to Christ. It may be because of you. Don't cancel or rule out anybody getting to heaven until Jesus shows up. Because there's a chance for everybody until Jesus comes again, or until they die. So don't label people, just keep encouraging them and witnessing to them and praying for them. Don't be judgmental. Now, uh, now I don't want to say uh, be tolerant. I hate that word in today's culture. But we know the difference between right and wrong. But we do right and wrong too. So the danger is judging somebody on what they're doing when we do the same thing. Don't, don't try to get the log out of your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. Okay. Other questions? All right, then we will continue. Now, there's one thing I need to tell you. This class will stop for the summer, okay? Our last class will be May the 23rd. That's the weekend before Memorial Day weekend. So we have three more weeks. Then we will pick up wherever we leave off, Uh, on the Sunday after Labor Day weekend in September. Okay. So three more weeks, and then we're going to take a break, and then we'll continue. What class is going to be in here? I will tell you when I know. The, The higher powers are still debating that, and I'm not one of them anymore, so I'll tell you when I know, but from what I hear is it's going to be another Bible study on a book. Okay, so I'll let you know. All right, so the 23rd will be our last class. I will be back in September, God willing. Okay, and the creek don't rise. All right.